You're listening to Cross Life, the college ministry of Grace Bible Church in Bozeman, Montana. Our current series is Imago Day, a study of how the character of God impacts your daily life. Amen. Welcome to Cross Life. It's nice to see you, and it's nice to sing with you, and it's going to be nice to pray with you. It's going to be nice to talk with you afterwards. We've been looking forward and praying for tonight, uh, today, this week, for a while now. We're excited about it. Why? Because it's a little bit different. If you've been to Cross Life before, you know that normally we do music, we teach, we do more music, and then we hang out. Um, I'm going to borrow a line from Pastor Brian in the baptisms this Sunday. Instead of the the normal message coming tonight from Andy, myself, Matt, from the Word, it's going to come from people's lives. And that's a powerful, powerful thing. Uh, I don't mean to single anybody out, but Amir, would you stand up for just a minute? I don't know if you, yeah, you, (laughs) I don't know if any of you were here Sunday for the baptisms, but Amir shared a powerful, powerful testimony about the Lord had brought him out of darkness and into light, um, out of false religion and into Christ. Thank you, brother. You can sit down. As we were singing that song in Christ alone, it reminded me of Acts 412, one of the most controversial verses in the Bible. There's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved than that of Jesus Christ. Do you know why that's controversial? Because it says there's one way. There's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. Men and women, uh, regardless of where you are tonight, I hope that you'll be challenged. I hope that you'll be encouraged. I hope that you'll be built up by what's said. Couple announcements before we get rolling into testimonies. Actually, one announcement. We're keeping it simple tonight. What's tomorrow? Men's and women's advance. Yes, it's it's Friday, Deontay. Very good. But it's also men's and women's advance. Okay, so if you're a lady and uh, you'd like to come this weekend, four thirty tomorrow in the Grace parking lot. Uh, Steph left me a little note here with some details. Women's advance. Grace tomorrow, four thirty p.m. Talk to Steph if you need to leave later. Steph, would you stand up, please? Okay, talk to Steph. Jen, stand up, please. Okay, there's a couple other ladies helping as well, but see these ladies afterwards for more information. There's a sign-up sheet at the back, okay, and the retreat costs, you guys can sit down, thank you. The retreat or the advance costs $30, okay, so pay tonight if you can. If not, come tomorrow anyway and pay tomorrow when you show up. I guarantee it's going to be worth your time. It'll be up at uh, Rock Haven Camp, Rock Haven Retreat, not too far up the road, about 30 minutes. Uh, What do you need to bring? You need to bring notebook, Bible, warm winter clothes, sleeping bag, pillows, toiletries, and uh, church clothes. You'll be back in time for church Sunday morning. Uh, There is showers up there. Not to worry, there's not where the men are going, but you women have showers, so you're good to go. Okay, you'll get back to Bozeman at 10.30 Sunday morning for church. Those girls have some awesome, awesome things in preparation for you. Some terrific speakers uh, lined up. Hope hope you can join them. Men, okay, men's advance. We'll meet at 4 p.m. in the parking lot right over here tomorrow at 4. Hope you can join us. We'll head over to Cardwell Community Church in Cardwell, Montana. We also have some awesome speakers lined up. Uh, Mike Woodbury, Gail Heidi, Blake Shaw, Brad Wright, some tremendous men who've been working very, very hard to prepare to talk about purity, to talk about manhood, uh, to talk about relationships and marriage and singleness and these kind of things, the elephants in the room. Those are things that we're going to hit on this weekend. So hope you can join us. There's sign-up sheets tonight. There's ways to pay tonight. Hope you can be there. 
Let's pray, and then I want to introduce some men uh, that are going to take the mic from me and share from their lives. Father, before we go any further, we want to ask your favor. Not that we haven't been praying before this, not that we haven't uh, been seeking to prepare our hearts in prayer and song and all these things, but we desire strongly... It is our deepest desire that you would get glory for yourself tonight, that you'd make your name great in this room among these people, whether believers or non-believers. God, I beg that you would draw those who are uh, still foreign to you, still questioning you to you, that you'd open their eyes to the truth, Lord, uh, that they'd be enamored with the Savior and what he's done, that they would realize that it is in Christ alone God, would you make your name great tonight? Would you empower David and Dylan and Kelly and Katie to speak your word with clarity and conviction? And would we, God, I, I pray that we'd have great joy in rejoicing with them and testifying with them of your goodness and grace in their lives. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, all testimonies have three things in common. Okay, three things. Before, after, and how before, after, and how, and all three are important. And as you listen to these testimonies tonight, I want you to think, before, after, and how. Who was this person before Christ, B.C.? Who are they now? As they have a new name under heaven, who are they? And an important question for you is, how did that happen? What transpired to make that happen? You guys are familiar with 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17 that says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and new things have come. So as these men and women testify about God's grace in their life, I want you to ask yourself, what's your testimony? Do you have one? Do you know what one is? Do you want one? Not so you can necessarily stand up and tell everyone, although that's the fruit of having a testimony, but so that you can know Christ, so that you can have your sins washed away, so that you can have new life in Christ. Okay, the first two people coming up are going to be David first, and uh, excuse me, Dylan first, and then David. So Dylan Grubb, uh, it's important as, as we go through these testimonies, we chose these testimonies with a purpose. Okay, so we don't, we're not just going for shock factor with testimonies. This is uh, all the crazy things I've done. This is what Christ has done in me. You'll hear that tonight through some of these testimonies. But you'll also hear people who uh, were raised in the church like Dylan. You'll hear people who were raised outside of the church and were brought into the church by Christ. Okay, so all across the board, and we pray that the, they'll testify to your heart tonight. So Dylan, you're up first, brother. Thanks, Tanner. Like Tanner said, my name is Dylan Grubb. Now, I guess I'll just start off with a, just a little introduction to my childhood. Uh, by God's grace, I've had the privilege to grow up in a Christian home, and I've been raised in Bozeman, Montana all my life. Uh, lived in the same home all of my life. Uh, as long as I can remember, uh, my family and I have attended Grace, and I can even remember uh, memories of the old church. Uh, sitting in preschool, Sunday school, uh, learning the old Bible stories and whatnot, but uh, I, was, I, was, I constantly heard about the gospel throughout childhood, and I responded in some way, I remember. Um, I was even taught that Jesus had died on the cross uh, for the sin of the world, and I need to repent and uh, place my faith in Jesus. Uh, but I don't believe that I was born again in Christ at this time, because frankly, I was perfectly fine with my sin, 
and I, and I didn't fully understand the gospel. I didn't understand the implications of what it meant to follow Christ. Uh, but around my eighth grade year, um, I had a very uh, special man enter my life through uh, the junior high ministry. His name was Jason Lytle, and uh, along with other leadership staff, they really impacted my life, and Jason constantly challenged me. Uh, he, he asked me if my faith had been authentic. And it was at this time that I grasped just how, how serious my sin was and that I realized I had a false assurance of my salvation. Uh, with that, 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves, or, you do not or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Uh, after spending many times in the Word with Jason, uh, I realized that my faith was more of the accept Jesus in your heart, uh, and do nothing kind of faith, do nothing uh, to follow Christ. Uh, Romans 6.6 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And verse 11 on the same chapter goes on to say, So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, I finally understood that true repentance required turning away from sin, turning the opposite direction, and submitting and embracing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Um, before I was saved, uh, my life would have looked really good on the outside, but in reality, um, I was a wretched, spiritually sick, and... Um, a wretched man or boy at the time. And I fully deserve God's punishment, frankly. I desperately needed a savior who could save me from my spiritual condition. Uh, there's no way I could be acceptable in the midst of a ultimate, holy, and righteous God. Uh, Romans 5.10 states, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I couldn't take the proper steps forward, or in, good or in good faith, elevate myself to obtain salvation. Uh, what a gift it is to be forgiven. Those who trust in Christ and turn from sin become children of God. Truly amazing. Uh, unfortunately, um, the few first years of my high school career, I was characterized by double-mindedness. I had one foot in Christianity uh, and one foot in the world constantly. And I always craved the opinion of man over the Lord's, and this led to lingering sin in my life. I always thought that man was big and God was small. And coming into high school, sports became the greatest out of my life. Uh, that those are the things that I, I cared about most. And I, ultimately, I had not made the decision to walk with God against the flow, and I didn't want to stand alone in my faith, and I wasn't ready to stand alone. Uh, Galatians 1.10, one of my favorite verses, says, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I lacked true wisdom, um, and I, although I knew about the Bible and the gospel, um, my life did not have integrity outside of this church building. Uh, many times I had acted even that I was ashamed of the only message that can save. Uh, but by God's grace, my eyes were open to the especially frequent sin in my life around the summer going into my junior year of high school. Uh, in my junior and senior year, uh, I had a series of injuries and letdowns in sports, and this also solidified the fact that I had a love problem. I loved all these temporal things more than I loved the Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, then, From then on, after uh, this time, I finally uh, submitted to the fact that Jesus Christ is infinitely better than this world has to offer. 
And by God's grace, at the end of the days at BHS, I finished stronger than I had started spiritually. Uh, today I stand completely undeserving of everything the Lord has done for me. Uh, I continue to be amazed by the Lord's faithfulness in my life. Uh, Romans 12.1 states, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I hope to live my life for Christ, as this verse states I ought to. Also, Colossians 2.6 states, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus my, the Lord, so walk in him. And my lifelong, my lifelong goal really is uh, to live a, a, a life patterned after Christ's life. And uh, with that, I remember uh, a series that Cross Life did when I was in high school. I think it was in, in the summer, if I'm correct. I was out of 1 John 2.6, um, where John states, Whoever says... He abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. There is no doubt that I will stumble and fall many times, uh, but I will rest in the fact that the Lord is faithful and just to forgive me, and not that I would keep on sinning, but that I would honor Christ in everything I do. And with that, I'll, uh, I'll welcome, up, welcome up David. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys. I'm David. I just moved out here from... Spokane in July, and I'm attending MSU. Um, I also grew up in a Christian home uh, in a town in Maine. Every Sunday, um, we would attend church. Uh, when I was five, and again when I was around six years old, uh, I prayed a prayer with my mother, <clears throat> asking the Lord to come into my heart and save me. Um, the problem was these prayers were done in ignorance of the truth and without saving faith in Christ. I was trying to obtain salvation through the act of praying rather than through repenting and believing in Jesus. Around the same time, I began to develop my own patterns of sin. Uh, as I grew older and began attending public school, I became active in the church on Sundays. Um, and then I was out practicing sin on the weekdays. <clears throat> It was enough to deceive my parents so that I was involved at church, and so this lifestyle continued for a time. Somehow I was able to continue this double life all through high school, but I grew more and more rebellious through my teenage years. Uh, by the time I was graduating from high school, I was promiscuous, uh, lying, stealing, and abusing all the drugs and alcohol I could get my hands on. I was doing all these things while at the same time being actively involved in church. Of course, I was confused, and I didn't yet know the truth. I remember there were times when I thought I might have been saved. I didn't know what it meant to know the Lord. I remember praying on occasion for the Lord to change me, but it was as if I was depending on the prayers to change me. I didn't have a repentant heart, and I wasn't submitting to the Lordship of Christ. After graduation, my father gave me a choice of either joining the military or going to uh, Bob Jones University, which is a Christian school in South Carolina. I decided on the school, figuring it would be the quickest way back to uh, my girlfriend at the time. Um, what I didn't realize was that the Lord was working in my life. It was his plan that brought me to that school. And it was there that I experienced conviction from the Holy Spirit. Uh, one Sunday, the preacher gave a message on salvation. And I can still remember the conviction. I told myself a hundred times during that message that I was already saved 
and at the end of it, I left unchanged. Growing up in a Christian home, saying prayers, even believing in a creator was never enough to save me. Those were my works, my attempts at gaining salvation, but they were filthy rags in the Lord's eyes. It had been his plan to save me by his own power and according to his own design. That evening was the start of um, two years of spiritual struggle that ultimately led to my salvation. Excuse me, my mouth is really dry. (laughs) At Christmas break, I came home, uh, got back together with my girlfriend and continued living my life of sin. I was looking for comfort, for escape, and for peace. I was trying to find meaning in a world that is without meaning apart from Jesus. My sister had a good idea that I was unsaved, and she advised me to stop pretending and to stop um, being a fake. She knew I was putting on a show, and she told me that I needed to be real and honest and stop acting like I was saved when I wasn't. So I told my parents that I didn't believe in, in the Lord, and that following fall I moved out into my own apartment, and things continued to get worse. By this time I was uh, stealing alcohol, binge drinking, and doing drugs with friends almost every day. Numbing myself to reality was easier than facing my troubles until one day something happened. The Lord began giving me panic attacks whenever I smoked pot. I would be convinced that I was seconds from death, and I knew that if I died, I would receive God's judgment because I was a sinner. It only, could take, or it only took me a couple tries to realize I couldn't smoke any longer without being filled with fear, so I quit. God saw the thing that I relied on for comfort, and he took it from me, and he did it in order to force me and my thoughts back on the reality that I was lost. Shortly after my 20th birthday, the Lord removed another big distraction from my life. The girl I had been dating since high school decided that she wanted to take a break. It was in no way a good relationship, probably the exact opposite of that. It was unexpected and painful, and yet the Lord uh, did it in order to remove another distraction that was keeping me from him. One night, just weeks before my conversion, I was with friends drinking uh, stolen beer. It was a normal night until we had the bright idea to go back to the store and steal more. Police were waiting for me when I came out of the store. My friends had apparently driven off when they saw the cops, and I was arrested that night and taken to jail. After I was processed and scheduled for a court hearing, one of the wardens at the jailhouse offered to give me a ride home. I accepted, I accepted since I had no other way of getting home, and while he was driving me home, he began to share the gospel with me. He gave me a gospel track <clears throat> and very calmly shared with me the truths of salvation. He told me I could have forgiveness through Jesus. God had put that man in that exact place, um, and that man obeyed the Lord. That night had an impact on me, and I was desperate and even praying again. But I still didn't submit to the Lord. I was praying out of fear and then looking for comfort and drinking. Although I was still separated from Christ, the Lord had me right where he wanted me. It was at this time that I met my brother, brother-in-law Aaron. He and my sister were engaged, and they were visiting from Michigan for a couple weeks so he could meet the rest of my family. 
I admired Aaron because he was kind and treated me as his equal. God was using him to open my heart to his truth. One night while we were eating dinner, my dad asked Aaron to share his testimony. I sat quietly and listened to his story. The Holy Spirit was calling me, and this time I didn't fight him. I understood that faith required repentance. I couldn't treat the message of the cross like a vaccine. God wanted a relationship with me. He wanted to be my father, but I needed I needed to turn from my sin. He was calling me to trust in him and believe that he's faithful to forgive me. I understood that Jesus had left the Father's side in heaven for the sake of saving me. He did it so that he could take my sin to the grave and give me his own perfection in its place. On the ride home from the restaurant that night, I prayed a very simple and yet sincere prayer to the Lord. It went something like, Lord, I give up, I give you my life, and I trust that you will save me. From that night on, my life was different. Some changes were obvious. Others have been a much slower process. I had a new and genuine interest in reading the Bible, for the, and for the most part, I could understand what I was reading. I had a new attitude, and I had joy for the first time. I told my friends that I gave my life to Jesus, and they thought I was crazy. I also had a love and compassion for my family and for other believers that I had never experienced before. I learned two important lessons very quickly, however. First, my struggle against sin wasn't over. It had only just begun. Second, victory over sin required daily submission and repentance in the same way as my salvation had. I couldn't have victory by my own strength. Shortly after my conversion, the Lord took away my court charges. I joined the Air Force only a month after my conversion. I was stationed in Spokane, Washington in 2007, and I spent six years serving as an aircraft electrician. Spiritually, I, I grew in spurts. There were times when I felt very close to the Lord and I was full of joy. Other times when I allowed myself to drift, I would doubt and feel depressed and out of place. I only met a couple other Christians in the military and I found it hard to find a church family. But it was all by God's design. By the end of my six years, I had to make a choice of staying in the military or getting out and starting a civilian life. Um, although the military had a lot of benefits, I decided by God's grace um, that it would be most spiritually beneficial for me to separate. I decided that the wisest choice was to move where I knew there were godly people that would help me grow in my walk with the Lord. I chose to move here to Bozeman and get involved at Grace Bible Church since I had been here a few times before to visit family. Lord in his wisdom had moved my brother-in-law and sister to Bozeman from Michigan. They continue to be a huge blessing and encouragement to me. I've been able to get involved in a small group which has proven to be a gift from the Lord. We were made to have fellowship and to grow together and being in a small group has placed me with some men who love the Lord. I'm excited to get to know them better and to grow alongside them. I've just started to get involved in the music ministry and I'm excited to see where the Lord leads in this area. So the struggle against sin will never be gone completely until the day I stand in glory. But the Lord is good and faithful to do what he says he will do. 
He is working and moving for the good of his people, even when it may seem like he's not. It's all according to his plan. He has never left me and he never will. Thanks, guys. Um, I'm sure you guys have wondered, as I have wondered, what heaven's going to be like. Did you, ever, did you ever think about that? I wonder what heaven will be like. You know, that there's not going to be any, look, look what I did, or did you see what I did, or even recognition of, wow, did you see that person? You look at Revelations, and it talks about there are people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and they are all gathered around one throne. And there's a lot of this. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Yeah, sin did leave a crimson stain, but, but he washed it white as snow. There's going to be a lot of how deep the Father's love for us. There's going to be a lot of I surrender all. It's going to be a lot of testimonies, a lot of testifying. Not what you've done, but what Christ has done. There's going to be a lot of this, but Christ. Oh, but Jesus. You think of people from, and not just alive now, but people who have been, who have gone before us through the pages of Scripture and history up till now, till you guys have passed away, till Christ returns. There's going to be a lot of, Oh, but Christ. That's what testimonies are. It's like a little slice of heaven. Man, I wrecked it. Sin left a crimson stain, but Christ washed me white as snow. Um, it's real easy to get the idea, one-dimensional, that um, everybody's story looks alike. But Christ is working on so many levels in so many ages from people who, like, I was saved at a very young age. You look at the thief in the cross who was saved at 1159, right before he died. And, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to hear testimony next, Kelly Hone. Not that she was saved at 1159, but it wasn't 12 a.m. either. <laughs> uh, Come on up, Kelly. Kelly Hone, I'm going to introduce Kelly. She's been married to a, gr a guy named Greg for almost two years now. Two blessed years to a beautiful man named Greg. <laughs> and Kelly shares an, um, a wall with me and Tanner. She works at the church office. And um, she runs all of the nuts and the bolts behind the bulletin, behind organizing all of these um, the rooms that we, we use, she holds the key to all the rooms. So if you want to use a, a room, you've got to go through Kelly. But Kelly was saved radically. Um, I remember when I first moved here to Bozeman in 06. When were you saved? I think 06. Wow. 06, um, when I met Kelly, she was attending every Bible study that you could imagine, just about every night of the week. She was taking Bible classes. She, didn't, she couldn't even comprehend all of the water that was washing over her from the Word. But she was so hungry. And um, she's got a neat testimony to share with you guys. And then after that, we're going to have um, a young gal from, from Montana Bible College who's going to share her testimony, Kate. 
And then um, after Kate, we'll close up with some more worship, singing worship. But right now we're going to hear Kelly worship as she shares her testimony. Thank you. So I was raised in a very chaotic household. My parents were divorced when I was eight, and then they both had boyfriends, girlfriends, remarriages, more divorces, etc. And my um, my dad was extremely intelligent, and he still is. Um, <laughs> but he's not a believer, so he often made fun of God and the Bible and anybody that would be silly enough to believe in either one of them. So, um, so during my growing up hood, not a word, um, <laughs> I was pretty, you know, kind of mistreated a lot by family members, and it really wasn't the funnest time of growing up. And just for a good example, when I was 14, I ran away to a town two, two towns away from the Florida town that I grew up in. And when I got home, I snuck in the door and I found, I realized after a little while that nobody had noticed that I had ran away for three weeks. So that kind of gives you the, the household, you know, ambiance. So then, I was a real shy kid who um, pretty much hid out from the chaos, but then I discovered as I got into my teens that it was a, life was a lot more fun and not scary if I drank or did one sort of drug or another. So I put my entire being into discovering the boundaries of how far you could go without getting jailed or um, just as much trouble as I could possibly get into. I'll skip this part here. <laughs> Sorry, <I'm> nervous. <clears throat> so then, I I did. I spent the next few decades making money and traveling, and I bought a motorhome in Chicago, Illinois, because I couldn't take the black snow anymore. And so, and I left there with just one goal in mind, and that was to have as much fun as possible and to go to all the green parts on the maps. And. At that point, the only pretty bad part of me is I had a temper pretty bad. I actually went to jail a few times because of it, which is not a good thing. I'm not suggesting anyone do that. <laughs> I just want to glorify that. So, we'll go down to here. In, t <laughs> in two different towns, the cops approached me. Um, oh, here, yeah. Okay, so then I'm traveling around, right, and I'm going from town to town, just all the fun spots. And wherever I would go, there would be a huge party in the motorhome. And cops actually asked me if I would leave their towns, but I found out they can't do that legally, so I would just stay there until the, somebody got arrested. So it sounds really bad now, but at the time it was really fun, and I honestly was at this time completely mindless, and I didn't give one th thought to God or anything spiritual. The only thing I did think when I did think, which was not often, was that people were weaklings that used the Bible, and they used it as a crutch in a fairy tale. So I pretty much adopted my father's, my biological father's opinion. So then through the decades, my family, my friends, and strangers totally, I don't know if the word exalted is correct, but they exalted me for being 
so brave to be such a free spirit. And so it just emboldened me to keep going and doing it for a very long time. But then the coolest thing ever happened to me, finally, when I was exploring the coast of Oregon. It was 2004. I was 41 years old. And finally, for the first time ever, the exact things that I always thought were fun went horribly wrong in one way or another. And including a very scary ex-boyfriend stalking. And then I ended up having what the world would call a complete nervous breakdown while I was living on the coast of Oregon. So for the first time in my life, I sought help. Instead of being this brave little thing all on her own, I sought help and I got excited because I was in the, one of the biggest areas on the planet for new age. So I dove into it completely and some very spooky stuff happened during this time, but I thought it was what they would refer to as the guide that was being friendly to me and helping me through life. So I was excited about it. And, and then I went to all these new agey doctors that would give me one um, diagnosis after another that, you know, like PTSS, OCD, ADHD, ADD, and then all these. I was even called schizophrenic. But, <laughs> but the, I was actually happy because every single label they gave me, it was because of my upbringing, the trauma in my life, the chemicals in my brain, and most of all because I was not, ooh, I can't read that. Oh, I was not connected to the universe is what they would say. So I dove into that for two whole years and then I was fixed once again and went on yet another fun adventure, this time to the Tetons, and where I made lots of friends back in the 90s. So I went there to hook up with them again, but the weirdest thing happened. On the way there, for some reason I cannot explain, to this day, I stopped at a church in Sun Valley, Idaho, only because it looked really pretty and very flighty and flaky. And there was two older ladies there, and they asked me what I was doing. And in my usual flighty way, I told them about my current travels, and my goal was to have no goal. And they asked if they could pray for me. And I said, sure, because I was open to everything at this point and was suddenly curious about what these people believed. So they sat on either side of me and they started praying. And something really wacko started happening that's never happened in my life. Whenever they would mention the word Jesus, every time they did, I would get really upset and aggravated and terrified and angry all at the same time. It was very strange. But I kept telling myself to just endure it and make my escape as soon as possible. So then when they were done, I got out of there, and I'm heading towards the door, and there was a pastor at the door, and he, um, I fully expected him to say, sorry about those ladies, they're kind of our local whack jobs, and they're fanatics. So I get up to him, and just as he reaches for my hand, he starts saying the same word, the J word, and I was just totally flipped out. So I left there and dismissed the whole thing as a church full of wacko cultists. Then, for the next few days, all of a sudden, for the first time ever, I wanted to know if the Bible was true. I didn't care if 
anything about God or Jesus or anything like that. I just wanted to know if that book was true, and it became sort of an OCD obsession, as usual. And the problem was, every time I read it, the same thing would happen. I would get totally angry and nervously terrified, and my whole idea was to learn about it like a hobby, and then forget about it and put it behind me. I was excited about that day because it to put it behind me because I didn't want to be aggravated anymore by this the thing. So, then what happened? Oh yes, I'm in the Tetons and I'm in a cabin three months later randomly reading out of Matthew 5. Just to me it was like a textbook that I should read, but something happened when I read Matthew 5 and I don't know what it was, but this incredible peace totally engulfed me like never before. I started going to the local Mormon church right after that because I didn't think it mattered at all and that all roads lead to God. But God arranged circumstances, including two funerals within a month where I really got the spooks and I left the Mormon church who would not stop chasing me. And then I ended... <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> they were so young. Okay. And then after talking to the pastor at Teton Valley Bible Church, it finally hit me that I believed the Bible. I believed everything that it said about God, who he was, and who I was because of God. And I saw that I had been an enemy of his my whole life, even when I thought I was innocent because I thought I'd never heard his word. I tried to use that for another excuse for quite a while. So I think I was saved at that time. This was approximately 2005. But I made a decision to continue to live as I always did because it, it occurred to me that it was more loyal for me not to leave my friends or my family. And I had a really cute boyfriend at the time, Teddy. So, you know, it was a good thing. It was, you know, braver to stay on their side. But then from that moment on, every time I wanted to do my usual reckless, crazy stuff, God would do something spectacular. My fun plans, they would either go horribly wrong or God would bring somebody in my life at that exact moment and spoil my pursuit of fun. And because I'm a really slow learner, this went on for a long time, for about a year and a half. And I would seek my worldly pursuit of fun and God would shut it down. Finally, one day, while I was hungover at a restaurant in Wyoming, the bleakness and blackness of what I'd been chasing was finally clear as a bell, and I realized that God's constant pursuit of me showed me clearly that my ways were meaningless, led to death and utter aimlessness, and a life that did not show that God was good, that did not show others that God was good. It finally led, it finally led to me realizing with much sadness that I was friends with people who were complete mockers of God, and it made me realize that I loved this God that they were mocking. So that helped me get away from them and phase them out. I realized that his love was so far and above the love of humans, and that my simple obedience to him led to peace, joy, and more wisdom about that Bible book that I thought was going to just be a hobby. So... It was probably 2005 or 6, that's when I was saved. I was 44 years old, and not knowing what to do with the fact that I could suddenly read the Bible and it made sense for the first time, I looked online to see if there were such things as schools that taught the Bible. And in five different states, I picked one out 
but NBC was the only one that God wouldn't shut the door on. He kept opening the door here and shutting it in the states I wanted to go to. So I finally came here, and then I very intelligently got really mad at God once I got here. I was pretty angry because I thought, you know, here I am all by myself, which I love being by myself, and he kept forcing these humans on me that were <laughs> Christians, and I hated it. But now that has changed somewhat. So, that's all. I just wanted to say those nice boys that said their, um, their testimonies earlier reminded me that words such as redeemer and you know, the way God is our friend started popping out at me and making sense. Like not over time, it would just be in bubbles of, you know, all at once. So, and, that it was exciting. And one last thing, when I realized that all this anger that I had at God for moving me here and then hanging me out to dry, I finally came across um, 2 Corinthians where it talks about that God gives us um, comfort in our affliction. And I believe the word for it is super abundant comfort. And that we are supposed to take that and take it to others in our same old quandaries that we found ourselves in. And that's happened a lot. So I'm very thankful to God. Thank you, Kelly. All right. Well, to begin, I would actually like to read something from 2 Corinthians. It seems to be like a good book tonight. So if you want to open up your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This will sort of kick off maybe where what I, what I want these few minutes that I have with the microphone and with each of you uh, to reflect. So it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and it says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, and we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, not, not me tonight, uh, but Jesus Christ as Lord. For God, who said, oops, I skipped a spot, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So this is where we're going. <laughs> Not me, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And um, God has been really faithful in my life. Uh, he put me into a family of uh, with a mom and a dad who love the Lord, and with grandparents who love the Lord. And uh, there's, there's been some things in my family that 
have been really awesome in shaping me into the woman that I am becoming. Um, but I remember at five years old, <laughs> in my deviousness, I was like, well, I'm going to just try and go for one day without thinking about God. <laughs> and, and I decided, like, it's really weird because I don't remember anything about being really little until I was, like, 10, um, except for this, is trying to th not think about God, and I couldn't do it. Like, I would get up in the morning, and I'd be like, okay, I'm not going to think about God. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, dang it, <laughs> I was thinking about God. Um, and so I, I use that only as an illustration to show you God's faithfulness in my life, to draw my heart and to, to woo me, because we have a king who woos us. Um, but when I was 10 and through junior high, it felt like the worst ever because um, I was very much consumed with myself. I, uh, I was teased and bullied a lot. I had people in my family and outside my family kept telling me that I was, you know, lazy and fat and like I had acne and that just adds to everything in junior high and you're just like, ah, life is awful. Um, but because I grew, was growing up in a Christian home where, where my parents dragged us to church and like our, our motto was preach, pray, sing, or die in a moment's notice. And, and as a junior higher who was so concerned about what people thought, that was agonizing to always have to be in charge and be the example. Um, and so I like, I, I became very introverted and I hated being around people. They scared me. I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to be judged by them. I didn't, I didn't want them to know me. Um, so I would go home every night and like, even, even amongst my family, I would hide away in my room and just cry because there was a pain in my heart that I knew that what I needed was God. And I, I remember that. I, I knew that he is what we need. But I also knew <laughs> that I'm a bit of an extremist. It's either like all this way or all this way. And uh, that if I gave my life to God, that he's going to change it. And it needed changing, um, but I wasn't ready for that. Um, and then I was reading in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, where it, it talks about, um, it says, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. And I was so scared that God was going to harden my heart so that I couldn't come to him. Um, and so at CBRN camp, when I was 12, I, uh, I, I, I told God that I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I can't go on trying to go days without thinking about you. I can't continue on hiding away in my room because whatever is going on, I hate it and I can't breathe. And like there was this physical weight that I felt. And um, so I wrote it down on a little paper. I said, all right, change me. Uh, and, and at that moment, I felt like a physical, physical weight leave me. And like I could finally breathe. Um, and that is where I, I first uh, started to get to know God. And um, I went home and I started reading my Bible every day. And that was a con um, 
reading my Bible has been a constant thing that God has used to remind me of who he is. And, um, but in that, as we, as we look to God's goodness and his faithfulness, um, I, I wasn't scared of people anymore. In fact, it was just the opposite. I, um, I loved attention. I loved seeking it from guys, from friends, from from anybody. And so at church, I would be able to go and, you know, bless the elderly and play piano and, and, and you know, you know, do all the good, good things that we were supposed to do. But then at, um, with my friends, I was also the ringleader there too, only it was, um, it was shameful. The things that I would do, the way that I would talk, the jokes that I would make, the everything that I did was um, was not honoring to God and I, I knew I knew him but I loved what I wanted I loved guys I loved I loved attention um, but God who is rich in mercy was const- constantly you know drawing my heart. He would be putting people into my life to, um, to remind me of who he is. And, and when I was 16, I was, you know, living that double life, like what you were talking about. And, uh, actually I think a couple of us talked about that too, the, the two sided, and I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I was broken. I remember the night very well. I was, it was really cold in my bedroom and I was crying because I realized that um, that I was claiming to be a Christ follower. I was claiming to know God. I was claiming to love Him, but everything I was doing was proving me to be a liar. Um, and so it was at that point that I I surrendered my life to the Lord. I, I realized that I couldn't go on living for only myself. I had to do things His way, and I. With that, there was a lot of, like, he flipped my life around. I, I had a lot of guilt, though, and um, I became the director of the kids' club in our church, and I was doing all these things. <laughs> like, I preg- pretty much lived at the church and with people, and trying to redeem myself from the awfulness that I had lived, the way that I had denied the name of God by my actions. Um, and and I was just weighed down by the guilt until in Hebrews chapter 10, I read this verse. And God used this verse to give me freedom. And it says, it's 10, it's 10, 19, and then I think it goes down to 23. Oh, you'll like it. God wrote it. <laughs> Therefore, <laughs> brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Um, so I, I hope maybe to be an encouragement in that is, is the freedom uh, from guilt that we have from the way that we used to be before we became children of God. But honestly, so I was striving, striving, striving. Lord, I'm going to be good for you. I'm going to show you that I love you today. Uh, and I was exhausted. I, um, I, I just <laughs> wanted to be good so bad that uh, I just wore myself out. And I was discouraged and I was trying to please God. Uh, but last year, I found out about grace. And um, the grace that comes only because of the blood of Jesus that sets us free, not only from our sin, not only from our guilt, but it allows us to rest in salvation. That means that the requirements that I had been putting on myself, the expectations that I had been making myself be like, okay, if I'm going to be a child of God, I have to do this, 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 this. Claiming a gospel of grace saved by Jesus, but living a gospel of works. Um, but that's not... That's not Jesus. And <laughs> I was horrified at the way that I had stolen his, his glory in that by thinking and, and trying to do the job that he finished on the cross for the glory of his Father. And, um, yeah, we can rest in salvation through Jesus, through his, his obedience to the Father, because... That's what it means to be in Christ, that he does it, not us. We, we get to share in that inheritance, the inheritance that he gets for being obedient. Um, so, so let me encourage you in that, too, that for, for you, my brothers and sisters, that we don't stop striving because, because the love of Christ does compel us, but that that's not the thing that we rest upon in our good works because we mess up a lot. I, I mess up a lot. Um, uh, I know that I'm really running out of time, so I'm going to finish up with just a couple of things. And one of that is going back to God wooing our heart, loving us. Um, last year, within a period of six months, I uh, had four people that I was really close to who are under the, 20, under the age of 24 die. And one of them was my cousin Jenna, and she was 16. And um, I had never experienced death before. Uh, that was close. And I tell you this because it was, it was an assurance for me that I knew then, as I was standing there in the front row of a funeral of my own family, Rather than being the family to go and comfort, it was my family that needed comforted. Um, I knew then that the love of God goes higher and wider and deeper than what I call love. And um, that even in something as upsetting as death, even in that, God is sitting on his throne. 
God is still the king. God is still sovereign. Because um, that is who he is as I am. He is all these things, not pieces of them. God is. And that's the king that I serve. And, and through these deaths, it has assured me, which is frightening, <laughs> that whatever he does in my life, that I will follow him. Because he is my king. And that is not of anything that I've done because on my own, I thought I was right. I thought the way that I was living was right. But what I think, my thoughts are not his thoughts. His thoughts are to bring glory to himself through Jesus, and I am in him. And so I'm going to close with tonight's life first, which is Psalm 16. Put it back up on the tall podium here. <laughs> All right. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord, Yahweh, faithful covenant-keeping God, he is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And my prayer is that, that I would wash Jesus' feet with my life. And uh, that's my prayer for you guys, too. I do pray for you. So, that's who I am. Thank you for listening to this message from Cross Life. Feel free to share this recording with others, but please do not charge for it or alter the contents in any way. For more recordings or other information about Grace Bible Church, visit gbcmt.org.